0: Good evening, and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I don't know how your week has been thus far. Maybe it has been extremely hectic. Maybe it is relaxing. You're on vacation. But no matter what the situation that you are facing, we're thankful that you have tuned into That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse this evening. As usual, I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh,
1: Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who might be listening to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to come into your homes this evening.
0: Let me start out the program with the contact information. Again, this is an interactive program, so we look forward to your interaction. There's a number of ways that you can communicate with us. You can send a whatsapp or a text message with your question to 12687821454 that phone number again is 12687821454 or you can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 1268462 seventy four twenty. Again, live on the air is two six eight four six two seventy-four twenty. You can email us your question to crlthatstruth that's truth, at gmail.com. That's one word, no space, no apostrophe. CRL that's truth at gmail.com. And you can join us on Facebook. Go to Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed. And then right there while you're listening to the program, watching behind the scenes, you can also comment and your question will get passed along to Pastor Murphy in a timely manner live on the air. Before we get to some new information, some new content in tonight's episode, we have some questions that have come in from individuals throughout the Caribbean over the last week. We're going to start out with a question. that comes from a neighboring island. Good afternoon, that's truth. Pastor Murphy has said, "On that's truth, it's always wrong to marry an unbeliever." I know that very well because I was there. However, I know of this brother who married an unsaved girl. He is attract. He is active in the church, doing a lot of things in the church. But up to the present moment, his wife hasn't surrendered her life to the Lord. So every Sunday, the Lord's supper is being administered which the husband is responsible to be doing, he passes the bread and wine over her. Pastor Murphy, what would you say about that? Do you think he should be active in doing anything in the church, especially administering the Lord's Supper?
1: Well, not knowing the uh, particular situation, it's I'm just going on basis of what was told. And basically, it's um, a person who's active in church Handling the communion elements uh, And does, she said also, many other things A lot of things in the church Should this person be allowed to serve I would start off by asking uh, the question Was this person uh, married before they were saved and got saved And that's how they got this um, situation You've got a saved person, an unsaved person um, that's a scenario which I'm not too sure if this is what you're talking about. If we're talking about a situation where a person is a believer in the church and deliberately and defiantly proceeds to marry an unsaved person, now we're dealing with a completely different matter altogether. Because the Bible is very, very clear on these matters when it comes to believers yoking up with unbelievers, especially in the context uh, of marriage i just make two references nathan look at uh, corinthians 839 first corinthians 839
0: give me just a second as i get the program or the computer program queued up here uh first corinthians uh
1: 839
0: first corinthians 839.
1: Sorry about that. I, I, was it, I thought it was available uh, on the internet.
0: No, okay. that's that's not a problem. Okay, First okay, Corinthians chapter eight, verse thirty-nine. It has been one of those days, but I am thankful to be here in the studio and to be reading God's Word. First Corinthians eight thirty-nine. Yeah. There is no First Corinthians eight thirty-nine. Stops uh, at verse
1: thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. The the verse. Um, I must have the wrong, the wrong uh, passage here. The verse says that you should marry, but only in the Lord. Uh, where the Apostle Paul is giving instructions to people about marriage, and he's saying, "If a, um, oh, I think it is Romans uh, eight thirty nine. Try that. Romans eight thirty nine. I'm sorry, I've got Corinthians.
0: All right, Romans eight thirty nine. Nor height, nor depth, nor any uh, other creature." Uh,
1: I'll try it one last time. Try 7 thir- <laughs> Uh Romans? seven thirty nine. No, Romans. Romans 7 39. No. Okay. Anyhow, the, the verse, I have to get it for you. Um, but it basically says that a person, uh, is, uh, a woman, is free to marry, uh, but only in the Lord. This is after her husband dies, if she wants to remarry.
0: It is, 1 Corinthians
1: 7, oh, 7.39. okay.
0: The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord.
1: Only in the Lord. So clearly... Uh, the is drawing a line of demarcation as to what a believer can do in respect to marriage. And in this case clearly if you're going to marry somebody else, you have to marry somebody who is in the Lord a believer like yourself. And then of course the other great passage is uh second Corinthians chapter six verse fourteen.
0: Second Corinthians six fourteen says be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness?
1: And, and uh, the other thing is that Nathan, we have the example in the Old Testament where God's people were not allowed to marry the pagans and the heathen. Now, if a person was converted from a heathen nation, they could be like Ruth, for example, mm-hmm. could be intermarried. But you were not allowed under the Old Testament economy, if you were God's child, to go and marry somebody outside the faith, basically. So we have the biblical example in the Old Testament. We have these two strictures in the New Testament, uh, Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, 14. And I would go to so far to say this, the, the general overall tenor of the New Testament is against a believer forming a... Um, marital relationship with a person who's not a Christian. Now having said that. <clears throat> My question would be, um, was the young man aware of this biblical teaching? Um, the other thing would be, um, did his pastor perform the marriage? I mean, it's, it's very difficult. If the pastor performed the marriage, the is also in the wrong because if the Bible says you shouldn't do it, and you're doing it, and the pastor doesn't want to endorse it and sanction it, there's something wrong with the pastor's theology. Um, the other thing would be this. Did other members of the church attend the wedding? Hmm. I mean, if you don't believe in something, and you're supporting it, and now you want to condemn it, that's why I'm going at that angle to see what really is involved in the in totality of the picture. Uh, The other thing I would ask is, what are the biblical standards in your church for people to get get involved in ministry? Do you have any guidelines that would restrict certain um, posts and certain responsibilities to individuals? And that would be what I would ask. Um, I want people to understand that a person can do something that disqualifies them for the ministry, uh, let me give it a, a good verse for that. First Corinthians nine twenty four to twenty seven.
0: Those verses read as follows: Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every one that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible.
1: Yeah. So Paul, and then Paul will go on and say that he keep his body under, and bring it into subjection, uh, lest he become a castaway. And that doesn't mean that he loses his salvation, but it simply means that he's now put on the shelf, and he's no longer able to perform uh, in his ministerial role. I'm saying that to say this: that Christians' decisions have consequences, and in the case of this young man. If he knew that it was wrong for a believer to marry a non-believer, he has deliberately, willfully violated that biblical principle. I think the church is making a grave mistake to give him what be call a prominent role of visibility in the church, performing these special functions. Um, I think it would be wrong to do that. But again, if the pastor performed the wedding, if the people went to the the wedding, uh, I think now you've actually endorsed what he's done and now you're turning around wrong and using it against him that's why I came from that angle uh, but I do feel that there are people when they do things like this he should not be given that visible position etc etc and mention was made that when he's dispensing the communion He often has to bypass his wife over his wife to give it to somebody else. I think that must be terribly embarrassing for him and also for the members of the church. So I think that um, the church needs to set some kind of standards. If it hasn't set those kind of standards, they need to put some kind of standards in place. And if this is offensive to you as a person who wrote this and you are attending that church— I think you should go to the pastor and uh, request a meeting with the board and the pastor and said, you know, I don't think this thing is right and we need to put some things in place to try to deal with it. Uh, that is my approach uh, as far as that is concerned. Now that brings me to another, another thing. Um, what is the church doing now that he made this wrong decision Is anybody reaching out to the wife who is unsaved uh, and trying to win her to the Lord? Or is he seen, uh, and his wife seen it as a purely critical, uh, people criticizing and and murmuring and talking and bad talking, uh, her husband, etc., etc. So, you know, if you feel that way, uh, first of all, talk to the pastor about, you know, putting some things in place. But also, Uh, see it as your responsibility the the decision has been made already he can't divorce her Mm -hmm. he's married to her so the best thing that can be done now is try to win her to the lord but that she cannot be won to the lord if um, there's this high profile criticism and she's aware of it being said Uh, she probably is attending the church because he wants her to attend uh, and so on so i would say to you try to reach out to her to try to win her to the lord but that does not change what i'm saying that people should, uh, the church should have standards for who can do what in the church. And we need the highest profile people to serve in those positions of leadership. Pastors and deacons and uh, and uh, people in positions of teaching uh, should have uh, bi- certain biblical qualifications and certain character about themselves before they use within the church. Yes.
0: Here's a little follow-up that has come from the individual who sent in the question. Uh Pastor, the brother was a believer before he married the unsaved girl. Yes, he was aware of the teaching, and no, the elder did not marry them. As a matter of fact, they were married at a beach, at a hotel. Not certain if anyone from the church was attending the wedding, but I doubt it.
1: Yeah, in a case like that where uh, he knew what was expected in Scripture, he's willfully, deliberately, Violated um, the scriptural principle, you know. It's like the like it's like Saul. You remember Saul lost his kingdom, his entire kingdom for an act of disobedience. And I think that there are people who uh, are very defiant and arrogant and recalcitrant about what they're doing, and they just go ahead and do what they want to, and then think that the church should overlook those uh, those decisions. But decisions have consequences. In a case like that, I certainly would not uh, agree that the, uh, the pastor would allow him to serve in that capacity. And again, the pastor may not be be aware that you're offended uh, about that situation, but uh, if you are and you belong to that church, I think it's right and proper to have a meeting with the pastor and say, this doesn't look right, this doesn't look good. You didn't marry the guy because you thought the um, what he was doing was wrong and he was going contrary to Scripture. No, we can't have him high-profile position in the church where it is very clear that this is the... A person who has rebelliously, defiantly, willfully gone against a biblical principle. You don't want that type of person in leadership. Now, it doesn't mean it can't be used. The other question I, uh, I had that was asked is Has he repented? Has he given any sense that he's remorseful for the decision he's made and uh, makes any indication at all well that he acknowledges that what he did was wrong? Uh, that is another factor that would need to be taken into consideration. But generally speaking, uh, I do not believe that people who Um, are aggressively disobedient and uh, make those kind of non-biblical decisions that are contrary to biblical principles should be elevated and given positions in the church. I think it is sending the wrong message to people who sit in the church and I think people who have a, a tender heart and a biblical understanding would be offended that such a person will be given that kind of a high profile and the pastor needs to, that needs to be brought to the attention of the past, and I hope that you do it in a proper way uh, call him say pastor i like to meet with you don't do it in public uh, and sit down with him and tell him your concern and maybe that would have some effect upon him uh, but I think something needs to be done because clearly what is what's being permitted uh, without any kind of repentance and sorrow and brokenness over the situation I think it is wrong to put him in that kind of a high-profile position.
0: Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you to each of you who have corresponded with us and sent in questions. If you have a question you can send it in via WhatsApp or text message to one 268 Did you just tune in and you're wondering what this program is? It's a live interactive call-in program that takes place every Tuesday evening here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. It's 90 minutes long, so we still have an hour and 15 minutes left. Go ahead and encourage others. Maybe it's a co worker. Maybe it's a friend that you have recently been doing some hiking or different activities with. Maybe it's a family member. Go ahead and encourage them to tune into the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, or online at radiolighthouse.org. And they can send in their question, or you can call and ask your question live on the air at 268 462. 7420. You can also join us on Facebook Live on Tuesday evenings, and just go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and then you can comment your question while you're listening to the program and watching behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, I wanted to add something here, Nathan, because I think that's a fantastic question the person asked, and I don't think that uh, there are many people who overlook those kind of things and uh, ignore those kind of things. And I think this is what's happened to the, the church, that... Um, and I can only speak to, it's not so much at a Caribbean problem currently, uh, but there, there are churches in the States where a person, a pastor can divorce, remarry, go to another state, take up a church, divorce, remarry. And that's because people are not holding leaders to a high standard. And that seemed to have trickled down because pretty much uh, the kind of exposure we get in the Caribbean to um, broadcasting, often it is TBN, it's other other uh, sources that available, and the standard of those churches are so low, quite frankly, and that seemed to affect how it's what's happening here in the Caribbean, and I think it's a terrible thing that's happened. We need to reestablish biblical goals and biblical principles, and we need to prevent being copycats because they allow something. Uh, we allow it as well, and because their standards are low, our standards are, are low as well. We need to have very high standards and according to the biblical qualifications for people serving and we need not to um follow suit with what is happening elsewhere. part of the world.
0: maybe you don't have a question, maybe. It's a question that was asked of you and you had the answer, but it's something that you hear discussed or you think it's something that would be beneficial for others to hear the answer from a biblical worldview, go ahead and send it in. We would be glad to ask it to Pastor Murphy. And again, if you have the answer. But you send it in, it's still beneficial because it allows the rest of us to hear Pastor Murphy answer it from a biblical worldview, and that is preparing us for when we're in the workplace, when we're at the grocery store, and someone asks us that same question, and we are then better prepared to give an answer, as is taught in, I believe it's Peter, the book of Peter. The time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.50. I have another question that has come in from a listener in the Southern Caribbean. Good night, pastor. I have a question for that's truth. I am reading the online PDF, the lure of the occult by Kurt E. Koch. And I have a question whilst reading. I noted the subject of suggestive spells and suggestive power Is associated with when an individual seeks the service of a fortune tower, pendulum users, and card reader and tells them certain things about their life and the future, (laughs) which they believe causes severe outcomes in their life. My question is, can suggestive spells and suggestive power be closely related to goat mouth, which we in the Caribbean attribute as speaking bad luck or negative outcome? yet predicting negative outcomes over a person's life.
1: Well, I'd like to thank the person, first of all. I've never heard that expression. I've been in the Caribbean all, uh, all my life. I've never heard the expression goat mouth. That's the honest truth. I've never heard it and how it is used. But clearly it has the idea of bad talking and uh, against people. There's no real parallel between bad talking a person, and um, turning to someone who is involved in occult practices who would, uh, like, uh, cast a spell on, on people. Th- two different things all together. Now, words do affect us. There's no question about that. Um, a person can say something to you in the morning that upsets your entire day. No question about that. Somebody can somebody can say something to you that's so pleasant that it gives you a great lift throughout the day. So there's no question that words affect us. Um but the only way that people's words can uh, completely uh, affect your life is if you really believe what they're saying, and uh, you do a self-prophecy by fulfilling exactly what they're saying. But merely speaking words and telling a person, uh, you know, um, God cursed you or whatever it is, basically, or, or Satan take you over whatever it is, that has no magic to it. That has that nothing to say. That is what we're talking about. Uh, people were involved in the occult. Uh, and who are involved in what is called shamanism, their power is not um, intrinsic. We're dealing with uh, evil spirits that give people particular powers, and there's no question about that, that this is not only something that is currently going on, but there's something that is often referred to in the Bible. So going to a fortune teller or going to a diviner or a wizard or a card- or cartomancy where somebody takes cards and... Uh, Arrange cars to put a spell on people Is something completely different Than bad talking A person using words I'm saying that to say this uh, The the Word of Faith movement uh, Believe that words create reality And uh, that's why they talk about Positive confession, etc, etc And they literally believe That if you want a car If you want a house You need to actually say I want this car, I want this And then to visualize it And then they literally believe that they can transform reality in such a way that they get it, that they believe that. Now that is magic, that is that is not biblical, that is occultism to be very honest with you, but it's now been baptized and given a Christian name. Uh, but there are people who are involved with evil spirits and demons, etc., who are and uh, who are, who practice these kind of like witchcraft and necromancy and fortune telling and spiritism, etc. There's no question that um, these people are under the influence of evil spirits, and they are able to do things. There's no doubt about that. You ask anybody in Haiti uh, uh, why they're so scared of the voodoo doctor, uh, and uh, there are things that happen, and we don't. There's a lot of mystery to this whole thing, but these people are in cahoots with uh, Satan and demonic powers. And, of course, Satan is a very powerful being. He's not as powerful as God is, but he gives people power who are able to do things. And uh, if you read the book that you you indicated you got online, The Occult and Christian Counseling by Koch, uh, you read that book and you'll see his experience of 40 years in Europe dealing with these kind of things, the amount of uh, clearly the power that some of these uh, persons have who are involved in a cult practice. There's no question at all that they have certain sort of some kind of unusual uh, uh, super power, but it's not from God. It's actually from demonic uh, influence. But I would say to you, um, it's not the same thing as goat mouth. I like to. Um, If goat mouth by goat mouth you mean uh, speaking negative things to people, okay? That's what I mean. I'm assuming that's what it means. But uh, look at uh, Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 12.
0: Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 12 says, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer? For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these (coughs) abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee."
1: Yes, it's something completely different. This is in the realm of demonic influence that the Lord has restricted any Christian, any believer engaging in these kind of activities. Um, one other verse um, Acts 16.16
0: Acts 16.16 says and it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her master's much gain by sooth saying.
1: Yeah, fortune telling. But notice that what gave her that capacity to be able to fortune tell or sooth say?
0: She's possessed.
1: Possessed of a spirit. See, it's an evil spirit uh, that possessed her, and that's what divination is all about. It's not about I saying something negative about you. Uh, is that I am engaged in some kind of black magic. I am engaged in some kind of evil, etc. So the two are not equated, and the two are not equivalent.
0: Thank you to the individual who sent in that question from the Southern Caribbean. Our next question comes from the book of Genesis. And it says, the listener says, Genesis chapter 1 teaches that God created the universe In six literal days, it says the morning and the evening was the first, second, and third day, etc. However, the sun was created on the fourth day. How was there morning and evening on the first three days? Please explain.
1: Well, the first thing that you need to notice, basically, is that uh, Genesis 1-3 says what?
0: Genesis 1-3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light.
1: So the point I'm trying to make is that the sun is not the only source of light. Okay? So that's one thing you've got to bear in mind. The sun is not the only source of light. The other thing is that um, remember that if you read Genesis 1-2, to 2, you, you find that the, the water covered the earth, basically. And it, it could very well be that when God said, Let there be light, that he actually had created the sun and the moon then. But again, the water canopy was still, um, you weren't able to see the actual sun or the actual uh, actual moon, is when you follow the order in which the creation done, that when he removed the, the canopy, then it says on the fourth day, the sun and the moon uh, was created. So it's very possible that the actual act of creation, the, 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 um, the sun and the moon, was actually done um, on that first day when he said, let's create light. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way as well because God is light. And the light that would be provided to create the night and day would be light coming from His presence or light coming from another source. So we're not limited to the sun. The other thing is this. There are days when the, the we can see light but it's so cloudy, you can't see the sun. Right. So there's still light without seeing the sun. That could be a kind of a scenario you have in, in, in between verse 1 and verse number 14, that it was actually there before, but it's only when they lift the canopy. Because you remember, he divided the waters from the bottom from the earth on the waters above because there was a water canopy that enveloped the earth. So that would be the, the, uh, the suitable explanation for that.
0: Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.59, whether you're joining us on AM, FM, online, or maybe you're listening to a podcast of this episode years from now. Welcome and thank you for taking time to listen to That's Truth, but we are not content for you just to listen. We want you to encourage others to listen. And we also want you to interact with us with your questions and maybe a suggested topic for a future episode of That's Truth. You can call and ask your question live on the air by calling 268-462-7420 or you can WhatsApp and text your question to 1-268-782-1454. We have a lengthy question that has come in from a neighboring island And I'll read through it and then give you a chance to address it Good night, that's truth I have a question I would like to pose to Pastor Murphy I was having a conversation with my son last night And he was saying that he knows that Pastor Murphy is pre-trib But he believes in post-trib Because he has never read anything in the Bible about the rapture he believes that the Christian will be going through the tribulation, at least the first part. So he was saying, What if the Christians have to go through the tribulation because they were told they were going to be caught up in the rapture, and it is not so? Then, because they were not prepared to go through the tribulation as they were expecting to be in heaven, how would they be able to endure? My question to you, Pastor, is if mid-trib or post-trib people are correct, and those of us who are pre-trib are wrong, would we be ready to handle what is coming to us? Just asking, mind you— I am not saying that you are right and they are wrong, or vice versa. I would just like some explanation on this matter. Thank you. I hope my explanation was not too confusing.
1: No, it's not confusing. I think it's a um, good question, to be yeah. honest with you. Uh, the only thing I would say this is that I think we'd be all disappointed who are looking to the rapture, and then we go, have to go through the tribulation. So clearly, our mental and spiritual disposition would not be in a position where we actually prepare to endure the horrors of the uh, tribulation period but let's not forget the rapture does have its benefits the eminency of the rapture the bible says every man that have this hope what purifies himself so it, it 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 creates holiness on the part of the believer on a daily basis because he expects the lord can return any time. and once he has that sense of the lord's eminent return uh, he therefore lives a life that when the lord should return he would not be ashamed Anyone he here he's well done, so it the the the, uh, <laughs> the the rapture does have a tremendous spiritual benefit for the believer to keep it on his P's and q's and keep him active and serving the Lord and keeping his life clean and and holy so it, there's a balance there as well. however, I'd like to address something else that your son said that he has never seen the rapture in the scriptures well I'd like you to look um Nathan at first uh, Thessalonians four uh, 15 to 18.
0: Those verses say, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16 For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord.
1: See, that word caught up, that's the Greek word. It means to snatch, to take out. That word is the word that Jerome, when he did the um, the Vulgate, which was the Bible of the church for a thousand years during the, the, the Middle Ages, uh, the word that... Um, Jerome used for that word it's the word rapture so that word was transferred when it was translated the the King James Version from the Vulgate the word rapture and put into the King James Version but the same word rapture is the same word as caught up so it means to be snatched away to taken away so there's a rapture for you quite frankly. It is true that the word rapture is not in the Bible, right. but the concept is here because this word caught up means to rapture. It means to snatch away. It means to take up, right? And notice that he says that uh, we will, some of us will be alive, but being alive will not prevent those who are dead from rising first. So the dead is going to rise first. Then we which are remaining will be caught up with him because we will be changed. That's what we mean by the rapture. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about the Lord returning for his people, and rapturing the church and taking the church, caught up with the Lord, going with the Lord. That's the rapture. So I'm not too sure if you're looking for the word rapture, but I would remind you the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Hmm. Uh, what do you say about that one, right? Um, so it, it, it's, it's um, a toss-up in that matter. This is another ch- chapter, by the way, First Corinthians 15, 51-55.
0: Fifteen, fifty-one, and fifty-five. Yeah. I would be curious—the one in Thessalonians there. If someone didn't believe in the rapture, how they would interpret that passage?
1: Yeah, well, that's a curious thing. But uh, but you see, what has happened is that there are people who um, eschatology is not based on literal interpretation of the Bible. Oh, the, t- yeah. the whole book of Genesis, the whole book of Revelations, that is interpreted as history has already happened, or allegorically that it symbolizes something spiritual. They don't take Revelations as a literal book. So they can't fit Revelation into their theology, and the only way they can fit that into the theology if they destroy the idea of the rapture. Because if the church is going to be raptured and there's going to be a tribulation, who is this tribulation going to be against? And we know from Scripture, tribulation has to do with God uh, purifying the nation of Israel, putting them in the crucible to bring them to the acknowledgement that Christ is the Messiah, but it's also he's point out his judgment on, on humankind, uh, his wrath on, on mankind. A rebel man has has his day now, but when God begins to deal with man in his severity, the Bible said there has never been, nor will there ever be a time like this, and it says that by the time God is finished, uh, half of the world's population is gone, right? Uh, that is how severe it's going to be. Uh, but again, if you don't factor that into your theology, you have to find a way of explaining uh, Scripture away. And that's where I think that they do it. All right, But uh, read Corinthians 15, 51, 55.
0: Behold, I show you a mystery... We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump.
1: Stop there for just a moment. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die. That's what he's saying. That's the <laughs> biblical word for sleep. But we should be what? Changed. How are we going to be changed? In a, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. In other words, it is something instantaneous that is going to happen. Again, that's the rapture. The whole same concept you got in Corinthians, in, the, in Thessalonians, that we should be caught up. The, the dead is going to be uh, rise, and uh, the, we are going to be changed. So the concept of the rapture is clearly there, not only in Thessalonians, but it's clearly here. Continue to read it, please. Verse 52,
0: In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must be put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, <laughs> where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory?
1: Yeah. And then Paul would tell them, comfort one another with these things. That's what the rapture is. Is a... It is a doctrine to comfort the believer that the world is going to face the wrath of God, but we are not going to be part of it. And that's the great hope of the rapture. So it's a hope that we will be taken out before God begins. And by the way, as I mentioned, it, there are examples in the Bible of this, are there not? Take the flood, right? Um, before God brought the flood, he put Noah in a place of safety, okay? Take uh, destruction of salt and more. Before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he took Lot out. Uh, I mean, there are examples of this. And before he took, um, before he ca- caused the flood, who did he remove? Noah. Enoch.
0: Oh, Enoch. Enoch okay,
1: right? Enoch. So Enoch is a type of a saint who is taken out. Uh, Noah and his family, a type of Israel who will go through the tribulation, but protected, see? So there are, as I said before, you, one of the greatest... Um, or should I put it? One of the greatest means of verifying Scripture and understanding Scripture is to understand biblical typology. Wherever there's a type in the Old Testament, it's a comparison in the, in the New Testament, and that's where the rapture. Comes in there, especially with with Enoch being taken out before the flood came, but yet Noah went through like Israel's going to go through the tribulation. So uh, the Old Testament example as well helped to confirm that. But it's a great hope that we have that we're not going to be part of this this whole thing. Now uh,
0: you mentioned Israel is going to go through the tribulation. Those. Who are not saved in Israel?
1: Yeah, because the vast majority of Jews are not saved. They they don't even believe the Messiah has come, quite frankly. There is a great movement in the States uh, where a lot of uh, Jews have become Christians, Christian Jews, and and that's a growing movement. But in terms of the masses of Jews... Uh, it would be the greatest offense to tell them that Jesus was your Messiah, because to them, Jesus was a failure. He died on the Roman cross at ignominious death, and uh, they could never conceive of their Messiah uh, lacking that amount of power to allow himself to be conquered by uh, a Gentile power. And therefore, it's offensive to them to talk about Jesus being the Messiah. The other thing is, Nathan, if you look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.10,
0: First 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come.
1: There's wrath to come, but we're looking for Jesus to come to do what? Deliver Who has saved the Son the wrath to come? Yeah. Here's another verse, First Thessalonians 5.9. First
0: Thessalonians 5.9 <clears throat> says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Again, the, the word salvation, it means deliverance, by the way. Same word for deliverance. But notice, we are not appointed to wrath. That brings me to the point, what is the tribulation about? Let me give you some verses that I'd like you to read. Uh, look at um, Revelation six seventeen.
0: Revelation six 17, seventeen says, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand?
1: Read Revelations eleven eighteen.
0: Revelations eleven eighteen says, "And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that they that thou shouldest give a reward unto thy servant the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great." And shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth.
1: Right. Revelations
0: 14:10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his in- indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 14:19. And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God.
1: Look at 15.1.
0: And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God.
1: 15.7
0: quite a picture that's being painted
1: here. Yeah, the reason I'm doing that is that this is the time of wrath, right? We are not appointed to what? Wrath. That's the point I'm making. The church will not be part of this. And the whole tribulation period is about God, wrath being poured out on planet Earth. Man has had his day. And man has messed up planet Earth mm. and continues to live in a rebellion against God. God's day is coming. And that's why the Bible says there has never been, nor will there ever be a time of wrath like it is. But this wrath is not for the church. The church will be raptured. Uh, 15.7 uh, 15, uh-huh.
0: says, And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials, full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And then 16.1 and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth.
1: 19, 16, 19.
0: And the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in. Remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath,
1: one last one nineteen for fifteen,
0: and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God.
1: So when she asks, what's the wrath? Clearly, that period is during the tribulation period. But we will not be appointed to wrath, and we will escape the wrath of God. That's why we believe that the believer is not going to go through the tribulation. And remember this. As I mentioned before, every type in the Old Testament must have a corresponding type in the New Testament. And that's where Enoch comes in. Just before the flood came, Enoch was taken out. We know that Noah and his family went through the tribulation. And we know that Israel is going to go through the tribulation. The problem people have, by the way, is that when they come to Revelation, they read the word saint. So they think saint refers to the church. Mm -hmm. But don't forget, in the Old Testament, the saint was Israel. So when the church is gone, the saints now on the earth are Israel, who are redeemed. So that's where the confusion, some of the confusion comes in. But I hope that explains to the person what wrath is about. And we're told quite clear, right, clearly that we are delivered from wrath and we are not appointed to divine wrath.
0: Here is a kind of a follow-up sure. question to that same situation. Brother Nathan, can you please ask Pastor Murphy if he can explain about First Thessalonians 5.9, which says, God hath not appointed us unto wrath, because my son said that it is the scripture verse the pre-trib people are using that to say they will not be going through the tribulation. Thanks.
1: Well, it is one of the verses that we use, but we gave you another one, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And then we made reference to the several verses in the book of Revelation that indicates that the tribulation is about wrath. We are not appointed to wrath. We are, not, we are delivered from the wrath to come. So clearly it has to speak speaking to the church, being delivered from the wrath that is going to come. Um, I'd like to say something else as well, Nathan. When you come to the book of Revelation uh, one nineteen,
0: Revelation one nineteen says, <clears throat> Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter.
1: In other words, the book of Revelations gives you the complete outline of what the book of Revelations is about. The first chapter is what write the things you've seen. That has to do with the glorified uh, Christ in His majestic uh, display uh, before us in in the Book of Revelation, chapter one. One of the most picturesque and uh, daunting pictures of what Christ looked like, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in His holiness and His wrath, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then He said the things which are. That's the churches. Revelation two and three addresses the seven churches. And then he says, write the things to come. Interesting, you never find the word the church dealt with after chapter 3 in the book of Revelation. Hmm. And it's very significant that after chapter 3, and you go into chapter 4, the Lord calls John up, come up, and uh, I'll show you things to come. That is like, in other words, John is part of the church. That's like the rapture. I'm going to show what the wrath is, but you come up, basically. But notice that the the, the, the church is not mentioned. After chapter three he 's mentioning write the things that are that you 're seeing the things that are, and i 'll show you what the things are going to come, but immediately after that quite uh, John is taken up and he 's shown the future in is that of, typology
0: sort of, or i 'm using that word a little too loosely no, I
1: think that 's a, a typo, a, in a sense of type it 's not called a rapture okay, but clearly it 's an indication that uh, of, of the fact that he 's taken up before you get the wrath to come and it 's significant as well that the church is not mentioned after verse number three and the reason for that, Nathan is that according to Paul. In Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, God is not finished with Israel. Uh, Paul makes it quite clear that Israel is now in a state of unbelief. Israel has been cut off and put on the shelf. And God has taken us Gentiles and grafted us into God's plan. It's called the church. He's working with the church today. This is the the instrument that God, the agency that God is using is the church. But then Paul makes it very clear. Chapter 8, he tells you all that Israel had all the blessings, chapter 9, that they're now in a state of unbelief. And then in chapter 10, uh, ch- chapter 9, sorry. chapter nine, he tells you all the blessings. Chapter 10, he tells you the state of unbelief. And then in chapter 11, he says the day is coming when God is going to regraft Israel back into his plan. Why would he regraph Israel back in his plan? No, because the church is gone. The church has fulfilled its mission. Now he puts Israel back in his plan, and, and and the problem with people who believe in the um, these other forms of um, the, not believing the preacher, most of them do not have a role for Israel to play. They just see that the church has taken over the role of Israel to play, and that is why you find that reform churches, good churches, uh don't see Israel having a part in the future. Quite frankly, they're off, They don't. They don't. They don't believe in the, in the pre-rapture, etc., uh, etc. Et but that's because they are mentally blocked that the church has taken over Israel and they have allegorically applied all the teaching in the Old Testament to Israel and applied it to the church. So all that was said in the Old Testament, Israel is now being fulfilled in the church, but in an allegorical form. See, so that creates problems. But again, it is significant that after chapter 3, never again do you find the word church mentioned at all in the book of Revelation. Okay? We do mention the bride, which is the church eventually after all its wrath has come, then it comes back to mention the bride. I think that is very, very significant. But if you understand what God is going to do with Israel, it makes perfect sense that the church being raptured, he grasps Israel back in his plan, and Israel must be chastened and brought back the faith. Remember the Lord said that when they see me, they would cry and weep because they see the ones uh, who they've nailed to the cross, basically, his hands and his nails in his hands, and they weep for him as a, a woman weeping uh, for uh, in childbirth, basically.
0: Thank you to the individuals who have sent in questions. Do you have a question? You can send it in via WhatsApp or text message to one two six eight seven eight two. 782 one four five four. The name of the program is That's Truth, and the voice that you hear doing the teaching is that of Pastor Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. If you are in Antigua and you are not part of a Bible-preaching church, we want to personally invite you to visit our church. You can visit on Sunday morning. We have... St- Service or Sunday school, which starts at 9 a.m., and then the service starts at 10 a.m., and we would love to have you stop by and fellowship with us and hear the preaching of God's word. Again, if you are in a Bible preaching church, we are not trying to pull you out of your church, but if you are looking for a good Bible preaching church to fellowship with believers and to join and to become more effective. In the Great Commission we would love for you to visit Grace Baptist Church on Rowan Henry Street in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. Have another question that has come in. Good night. Do you recall this message from last Tuesday night when I required inquired if Christians could be possessed with the spirit of divination and make and mistake it for discernment and prophecy? Well, I got my answers from reading Christian Counseling by the occulti- and Occultism by E. Koch. Turns out that Christians can indeed possess certain gifts that are not of the Holy Spirit. And there's a quotation. I have found that in as many as 50% of cases, mediumist." Gifts survive conversion, this is a source of great danger to a person's Christian life. If one subsequently discovers, therefore, that one is in possession of (coughs) mideistic powers. One is the duty bound to ask God to remove them and to replace them with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I guess that's a quote from Koch.
1: Yeah, I, um, I was very glad that the person was able to download this uh, particular book by Dr. Koch. I would also recommend that there's some others that she could probably get online, that download. There's one called The Occult ABC by him. There's another one called The Occult Bondage and Deliverance. And one called Demonology Past and Present. All of these are books by Dr. Cox. As I said, he spent 40 years of his life ministering to the occult people in Eastern Europe. And uh, his whole story is fascinating book, tremendous insight. But she's right about uh, what, he's, what he's saying there. Uh, I think last time she asked a question about that as well. Can a person be able to see things that other people don't see, and as a Christian, utilize that within the context of Christianity? And I mentioned that those kind of gifts are not gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that that person needs to renounce that particular uh, gift that they have. And and some of these gifts that I mentioned last time, Nathan, is um, passed on. You can generally speak, and I will say this, you can generally mark it down, that people who have what you might call mediumistic or cult powers, there is some person in the family line. If you start tracing the history of either the mother or the grandfather or the great-grandfather, I can guarantee you there is somebody in the ancestry who has been involved in this kind of thing. I have not found it to be false so far. When I'm dealing with people like that, I always ask them, have you ever been to um, a medium? Have your parents ever taken that? Is your mommy involved in it? I have, without failure, there's always a connection between what that person is experiencing and somebody down the lane that who was involved in this kind of kind of stuff. So that is where that you can have a particular gift that is passed on, but it's not of God. And when you become a Christian, you might think it's of God because you know God can do supernatural things, but that is it's not a gift of the Spirit. That is where you have to renounce that and uh, uh, turn turn against it. If you use it you often have certain consequences. For example, those kind of people will find that they have great bouts of depression. Uh, you'll also find that they they can't pray. You'll also find that they don't have a, a, a great taste for God's Word, uh, etc. And sometimes you'll also find that they have a host of emotional issues, and they're often very angry at God secretly on the inside. Uh, this is because they've not renounced those mediumistic powers that they were given, they use them. And, you know, it's like in uh, the Merchant of Venice. Uh, Satan always wants his pound of flesh. Once he gives you something, he wants something back from you. And that's where it affects you spiritually and morally in your life, if you're engaged in using this thing and this help you in any way.
0: A little bit of a follow-up from the listener who asked about goat mouth. Goat mouth is where you predict something about someone and it happens. Could be good or bad. What qualifies you as having goat mouth is when your predictions happen often, so the person has a reputation reputation for speaking things kind of into being.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't. As I said, this is completely new to me. To be honest with you, I've uh, never had that experience. Never heard about it before. But again, if the person has uh, mediumistic powers. Um, I mean, they're just shouting off something, speaking off something, and uh, by by the laws of average or probability it happens, or uh, they're performing a job where they you, you can go to them and you can uh, ask about your future or whatever it is and maybe get a... Sp- no, that's a person who has a mediumistic spirit. So that's what I'm talking about. Uh, I thought goat mouth was really uh, telling you something that off the bat. But uh, clearly, we might be dealing with something here that the person has mediumistic powers and you might a person who has occ- occulted uh, insight that they can give you and predict things about yourself. So um, that was my understanding. And if it is that the person has that capacity and the frequency of success is uh, more than average it may very well be that this person have a music power.
0: You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We have a resource that is available to you. And I know in today's day and age, there are so many different organizations out there, and there's some great resources And there are some that are well worth paying for, but this resource is absolutely free. You say, what is this resource that you're talking about, Nathan? It is the podcast, the recordings of all of the previous episodes of That's Truth from the past five years, all 235 previous episodes. Now, you can go to Google and type in That's Truth podcast." And then you can choose your preferred provider, whether it's Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. And then you'll go to the archive and look at all different episodes. Pastor spent a lot of time this evening talking about the rapture. And there is a whole episode. It's a topic that's come up multiple times. But in episode 95, Bible Prophecy Part 7, The Rapture Explained, episode 95, That is an entire 90-minute program focused on the topic of the rapture as taught in Scripture. Maybe it's the topic of addiction or pornography or whatever it may be. Most likely, there is a topic that has been discussed that touches on that issue. It's also a great topic to be able to encourage others, maybe a new believer that you are mentoring or encouraging. Encourage them that they can go on their own time and listen to the podcast. You say, well, I'm not familiar with using Google or I'm not one to go on Google right away. Well, tell you what, another way you can get to it is go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. And just scroll down to the second large picture that you see. It's a big picture of a broadcast microphone. You cannot miss it. And right in the middle of the page there is a circle. When you see that microphone, there's a circle that says podcast. Click on that. And then there's a list of several podcasts that we produce here at the Lighthouse. And you can click on the one for That's Truth and click on the archive. And you can listen to all of the previous episodes multiple times Or you can listen to them On your own timetable We have A question that has come in From an individual here in Antigua Pastor if Mary was highly favored Why people Say that she was an Ordinary woman or like any Other woman
1: Well what uh, people Mean is that Mary didn't have Any supernatural powers Uh She was a Jewish maiden who was a virgin, who became the human instrument of God bringing his son into the world. She is the mother of his humanity, not of his deity. Uh, But she was the word favor has to do with grace, that God has showed her tremendous favor. And the favor that God showed to Mary was to use her as a special instrument to bear his son. That's where her special favor came from. It doesn't mean that she is given any special place in heaven because uh, there's no queen in heaven. There's only a king in heaven. Uh, and I know that the Catholic Church has put her as queen of heaven. Uh, there's no such thing as assumption either. Mary did not immediately go up to heaven. Mary died and Mary was buried. Um, and Mary is not, was not immaculately conceived either. Mary was born a sinner. Uh, and that's why you need the Holy Spirit to uh, produce a seed in Christ uh, to prevent the sinful nature from passing on to him. But uh, I don't think people say that Mary, she's when she's ordinary. They just mean that she was a woman like anybody else, but a woman who was specially given that mission to be an agent, to bear the Christ child and bring him into the world. In that sense, she's been very, very favored. But the idea that Mary is a co redemptory that um, you need Christ and Mary to get into heaven, and that she's a co-mediatrix, that you need her to pray for you and Christ to pray for you. It's all a big Catholic hoax. There's one mediator between God and man. There's only one mediator, not two. There's only one Savior. There's only one Redeemer. That's Christ. We say that because the abuse of miriolatry has led a lot of people down the path of unbelief, and a lot of people who sincerely believe that in praying to Mary and depending upon Mary, somehow they're going to get into heaven. And they're going to be in for the biggest shock of their lives. Because when they knock at the door to get in, there's only one ticket that gives you admission. Jesus Christ himself. He's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. That is why people try to uh, not elevate Mary, as the Catholic Church has done that, to create her into kind of an idol. Uh, We don't believe uh, that level of favor. Her favor was that she was the instrument of being the handmaid that would commit herself to bear Christ when He came into this world as Incarnation. Beyond that, there's no special power given to her, there's no special favor given to her beyond that uh, that the Bible talks about.
0: A follow-up question about the topic of the rapture and the wrath. A listener is asking, Pastor, what were the verses that Brother Nathan read before the series of verses in Revelation?
1: Oh, um... Let me give those to you again.
0: <coughs> After, as pastor is getting his notes together, let me just do a quick station ID. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. You can also join us on Facebook during this program on Tuesday nights.
1: Yeah, the passage is First Thessalonians four fifteen to 18. That's where the word caught up is there. That's the equivalent word to rapture, snatched away. And then the other passage is First Corinthians 15, 51 to 55. That's where we talk about uh, we being changed change in the twinkle of a night. And remember Paul said, I show you a what? A mystery. And remember, mystery is not something that is so mystical that you can't comprehend it. A Mystery is a truth that has not been revealed, and man would never be been known until God has revealed it. And the Apostle Paul was called the Apostle of Mysteries. And so there are things that God teaches uh, the Apostle Paul to teach the church, which you find in the New Testament. And one of the great mysteries uh, that Paul taught was the rapture. Uh, but again it was in a mysterious form in the old testament with the rapture of Enoch before the flood. So um, those two verses are those verses are again first Thessalonians 4 15 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 55.
0: Thank you for listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and to That's Truth. A question again relating to the topic of marriage. Good night, while you're on the topic of marriage. There's a brother at the church where I used to attend who got divorced from his wife and who later got married to another woman of the same church. Was it right for the pastor to marry them? And a little more information. His first wife stopped attending the church till this day. Note, the young man was ordained as a pastor and was later stripped of his office since his divorce, but nevertheless, he continues to serve in other areas
1: again, I don't know the this, this total situation. Was there a legitimate basis for the divorce? I don't know. Um, there are only two biblical grounds for divorce. One would have to be adultery. Did his wife commit adultery? And the other one would be abandonment. Clearly she hasn't abandoned because she's still in the island, and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I can't speak specifically to that. But I would say to you that um, if the Guy was not legitimately divorced. The pastor has committed great sin in performing the wedding for this person. And uh, I would have thought that if he felt that the person had legitimate wrongs of divorce, uh, he certainly should have met with the previous wife and see what impact uh, marrying somebody within the church would have had on the relationship. These are things that need to be worked out long before to find out what really is happening. So in in that situation, I think the pastor has created problems for himself. And it may very well be that this lady uh, who has been divorced has become so bitter against the pastor and against the church and against God that she probably is um, probably living a very miserable, discontented life with great anger at God, perhaps, And chances are that she may not find herself back into that church or any other church. Uh, But someone needs to at least try to reach out to her uh, in that case to see if probably they can uh, restore some relationship there. I think it is very difficult for any person who has been divorced, uh, for that person to turn around and marry somebody in the same church and and they coexist in that, 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 that situation. Normally... Uh, one of the persons generally would leave because it's very difficult. The pain of divorce is is so horrendous that um, it's very deep and and, uh, it never seems to go away. It's like a a pain on the inside you can't solve and uh, seeing the person there and the other person can create great discomfort. Uh, But again, not knowing the whole scenario. And by the way, if he has been divorced uh, not biblically, um, to put him in some prominent position, even after divorce, uh, to my mind, is, is, is a matter of concern. Um, I personally feel that a person who has been divorced legitimately can be used. Uh, in the church, I do not believe that this should be generally used in the capacity of the pastor. For sure, it should not be the pastor. I'm still struggling in relation to the deacon role whether they can perform that in the deacon role. But I would rather uh, err on the side of the biblical doctrine, husband of one wife, when it comes to positions in the church, especially leadership positions, than to go by my sentiment or my my feelings. So that's my inclination right now when it comes to those kind of things.
0: Before we jump into some new material, Pastor, what does it mean to be born again?
1: To be born again is to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's a very simple formula, what it means to be born again. But I would suggest to you that before repentance, there has to be the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has to work in your life to bring you to the point of conviction, where you understand yourself as a great sinner before God in need of grace and favor. And then the Spirit leading you to understand there's only one answer— to deal with the sin problem, that is Christ who died for your sins, who was raised for your justification, and put your faith and trust in Him, you become born of the Spirit of God.
0: Now as we wait for your questions to come in we've got some new material that we're going to go through, but I want to share
1: I want to make another one brief comment Nathan, uh, in connection with what we said before. Uh, for example I, I, I do not believe um don't church and people in positions. I don't, do not believe that a Christian who after being saved that commits adultery, I'm not saying you might commit that before you were saved, but after you've been saved and you commit adultery, you are disqualified for any pastoral position. And there's a reason for that, Nathan. The Bible says the pastor must be beyond what? Reproach. Yeah. The book of Proverbs says the reproach of the adulterer should never be taken away. So you put those two verses together. And that is why I'm very, very strong against people, you know, at least this idea of you can just divorce your wife, go off to another church, and so on. I mean, that is going against a very biblical principle. You must be beyond reproach, but the reproach of your adultery should never be taken away. How do you, as a pastor, see those two verses, scripture in parallel, and just believe that you can just divorce and get married and go off again? That's the low level that we are on today, and that's why we got to get back to biblical standards and scriptural truth.
0: If you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to 1-268-782-1454, or you can call and ask your question live on the air. The phone line is open and available. You can call one 462 7420 Now, if you call that last phone number to be put live on the air, and we just walk you through what to expect, Sister Marianne will answer that. She's Doing the call screening duty. She's going to just remind you to turn down your radio and get a brief synopsis of what your question is. And she'll type that out for me so I can go ahead and have whatever scripture passage pulled up and ready so that when you are put on hold, I'll pick you up and allow you to ask your question to Pastor Murphy. And we look forward to your interaction, whether it's through WhatsApp or text or whether it is live on the air. Now, while we wait for your question to come in, we have some new material that we're going to address. Pastor, a question I want to ask you is addiction, and it seems like there's so much addiction in today's world, but what are the steps to addiction? Is it possible to quantify it to
2: that?
1: Uh, generally speaking, there are four steps that are identified <coughs> when it comes to addiction. The first one has to do with Experimentation. That's how people normally get involved in drugs, Uh, out of either curiosity, they're copycat, they see their friends doing it, sometimes it's peer pressure, sometimes as well it is the pressures of life that they're faced with, and they're told that this would give you uh, a relief, calm your dog, it's just like cigarette smoking or whatever it is. So generally speaking, this is the first step, experimentation, you you experiment to see what's going to happen. Second thing is the social use of it. Once you start using it, you normally find yourself now with a group of guys or a group of girls or a mixture where you meet on evenings and you get your high, you're enjoying it, whatever it is. So from the uh, from the experimental stage, uh, you come now to the social stage where it's just, you begin to just socialize and use it. The third stage is what you call chemical dependence. This is now where you've I been mean, using the drug so often that you need the drug, the drug to keep you going. Um... It need, you need the drug to motivate you to keep lifting your spirit, etc., cetera, et cetera. You almost uh, can't get out of bed sometimes unless you can think of the fact that you need this particular drug. So you become dependent on the drug to keep you normal during the day or to keep you at a certain level. And the problem during that process, Nathan, is that you now need more of the drug than you first started out when you were socializing. so you, the, the, the body builds up a resistance to the drug. So you need more and more and more. And... Um, Eventually, uh, you come to what is called addiction, where you live for high. I mean, your whole life knows about high and you're willing to sacrifice almost anything relationships with your family, with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your children. Uh, where everything begins to suffer because you've now become an addict. But notice the stages. And they always follow those stages. To be experiment with it. You begin to socialize with guys, etc. That leads you to become chemically dependent on it. And then finally, you get full addiction where you're completely now uh, ruled and controlled by the drug. Those are the stages.
0: Pastor, we have a caller from Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please.
2: Good evening, Pastor. How are
1: you doing? I'm fine, thank you.
2: Pastor especially something a while ago. It kind of confusing to me, you know. What's that about? About the Blessed Virgin Mary? Uh huh. I I don't think Mary was a sinner, sir.
1: Well, I can't help if you think that. But you, why would she you call yourself? I uh, I rejoice in God, my Savior. Uh,
2: no, Let me say something to you.
1: Uh huh. I'm
2: speaking um from um uh, from what just I I have. No, God is a holy man.
1: No, he's not a man. He's a holy God. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't think he he put his son into a sinner's
1: womb.
2: That's, uh-huh. my, that's what I think about God. Uh-huh. You understand? Yeah. So how would he come by Mary? When Mary was a
1: sinner? Well, it, the problem, the thing about Christ is that he had to come as a human being. Okay, that's the thing about it. He had to be born of a woman, but again, the Holy Spirit is the one that preserved uh, his uh, being contaminated with her sin nature, and that's why the Holy Spirit is involved in the process. But there's no basis for saying that there's only one person who is sinless. That's Christ. No other human being has been sinless. Otherwise, Mary would be able to offer redemption for us as well. But she couldn't do it either because Christ is both man and God at the same time. As God, he is perfect with God. But because man sinned, he had to take the, the role as the kinsman redeemer of humankind. So that's why he had to be both man and God at the same time. But the, the Catholic Church has done great damage, uh, in my judgment, uh, to people by s- telling people something that's not there in the Scripture. And uh, not only that, they've elevated her to now where she's queen of heaven, that she never died, she was assumed and taken up to heaven. Mm-hmm. All of that is false, completely false. Not only that, she is the co redemptrix with Christ. So you need Christ and Mary. She's the co mediatrix with Christ. He has to intercede and she has to intercede. And you go to Mary who goes to Christ, who goes to God. There's nothing more blasphemous than that. That is contrary to Scripture. It's not in Scripture. You can't find it in Scripture. And that's where I think a lot of people are depending on Mary to get them in. And believe you me, she can't get one person in uh, into heaven, only Jesus Christ. The distraction of Mary is simply this. The the, the person of Christ is lost in the halo of Mary's glory. Uh, We've got a gentleman who's constantly calling us his entire life is about Mary I can't I'm burdened for him that he's gone through his entire life depending on Mary then to discover this is all a hoax and this is not a minor problem you know this is a major problem any religion that distracts from Christ and, uh, and he can't see his glory because Christ should be given the preeminence and all people should be talking about Christ not Mary uh, uh, Luther or Calvin or any other, Christ and Christ alone is who we exalt. Mary is lost in the haze of Catholicism and the Mariology that it teaches. But again, I understand that's your suspicion and that's your speculation, but it has no warrant in Scripture. Uh, we know that all men are born sinners, Mary was born uh as a man a person. So she is born in sin. We're told that the sin nature uh is put on. We're never told that Mary's father was um uh, Mary's father was uh, immaculate And his, her mother Because to have a sinless person It means that her mother Would have to be immaculate Her father would have to be immaculate as well Because if you say You're talking about sin And you have to be perfect you know, And God wouldn't put somebody In the womb Who uh, was a sinful nature You've now created A more complex problem Because you not only have Marina who's immaculate Your mom had to be immaculate the father had to be immaculate So you're not solving the problem You are expanding And compounding the problem When the simple answer is she was born as a human being, she was a human instrument that God chose to be used, she voluntarily decided to accept that role, God blessed her and showed her favor, but the Holy Spirit conceived in her was able to protect and shield uh, the, the, the Christ child from having a sinful nature that's the biblical answer not some mysterious woman and now having to create her mom being immaculate her father being immaculate to my mind you just exacerbate the problem doesn't solve the problem whatsoever
2: i um, personal yes can, sir do you believe that God when he gave the married a baby he changed her to a um, to, to, um, the country's home
1: before she had that baby well, she was, she, she was saved before she had the baby. It's very clear that oh, she, right. she...
2: That's what I'm talking about. Huh? That's what I'm talking about. I know
1: he... Yeah, she was uh, definitely, she has, was a believer. To, to, a, ...to a Christian to have the baby. Well, she, she, was, she was a believer in the God of, of Israel. That puts her in the same realm as Abraham, who believed God and, and, and trusted God by faith. Mary certainly was a woman of faith. Joseph was a man of faith as well. These are people who are are a safe people. So that's how God used those those people to fulfill the role that He had. But again, let's not go and complicate the matter. Because if your argument is that God would never allow um, a person to His Son to be in a womb of a person who was a sinner, my question to you is: Then how did Mary become immaculate? Her dad would have to be immaculate. Her father would have to be immaculate because he had to be sinless. And then not only that, her father's father would have to be immaculate. Her mother's mother would have to be immaculate. Uh, we create more problems The simple answer is She was a human being Born like every person But with a sinful nature God chose her The vessel to be used She made herself available The Holy Spirit came upon her Shielded his son And protected his son From inheriting the sinful nature That is the answer to the problem But to create now A, a woman who was supposed to be Assumed up to heaven And didn't die And queen of heaven And uh, co-redemptrix core <laughs> Co-mediatrix core We are now gone into the realm of human speculation. We've gone from one error to another error. Where does the error stop? It stops at the biblical teaching that Mary was a person born as a human being, the sinful nature, the Holy Spirit came upon her, preserved the Son, and he was born without sin. That's the answer to the problem.
0: Thank you very much for your call. Really appreciate you listening from Antigua and continue to encourage others to tune in and continue to send in your questions or call in with your questions as you have them. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.52. We've got about eight minutes left in this episode of That's Truth. We've had a lot of interaction from individuals so far this evening. Thank you for that. Again, if you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to 1-268-782-1454. Send that in ASAP, and we will address it as soon as it comes in. Pastor, you were talking about the steps to addiction, experimentation, social use, clinical dependency. Chemical, a, chemical, chemical dependency. Thank you. And chemical addiction. dependency and addiction. Uh, are there steps to recovery?
1: Yeah, just like you have these four steps, so you go downhill, there are also four steps going uphill. There's what, uh, and this is something that um, those who have done dealt with drugs and people who are addicted. Um, there's something called pre-contemplation There's something called contemplation uh, Decision and an action plan Pre-contemplation is where uh, you, A person is using the drug And you confront them to um, Tell them that you know This is going to affect you And it's not good for you But the person quite frankly isn't ready Just not ready As a matter of fact uh, He would say he doesn't uh, He doesn't really need the drug He's just using the drug to feel good So you can't you can't bring a guy off that and help him in this pre-contemplation stage. All you could do at that stage is be a friend, to be a person who encourages and uh, be a person there who, not terribly critical, but at the same time, let him know that you don't appreciate what is happening in his life, etc. But you can't get him off the drug when he's in a pre-contemplation. Then you come to the contemplation stage. This is where the guy say, you know what, I'm actually thinking. Uh, what you 're saying is having an impact in my life, and um I, I think i am i'm actually uh meditating and reflecting, and I think I need to, to to deal with something now what you do in a case like that, Nathan, I try to encourage them is to do what's called a cost benefit analysis with him, and what you do you look at the you, you know you look at the pros and the cons you said to him you know what well let 's look at let 's look at the pros for just a moment." Uh, look at what are the what are the pros of using the drug? What do you get from the drug, right? So you you begin to understand why he's using the drug, and he might tell you, well, you know, it, it starts from getting worried. Uh, it gives me this aesthetic feeling of a high, etc., etc. Okay, what are the negative effects of using the drug? See, so that's the, That's the, the, You're dealing now with the pros, right? Uh, and then he might, you might, well, you know, I'm, my family is turned against me. I'm uh, having problems with my job. Uh, I, I lost my relationship with my girlfriend because this thing is creating a problem. Okay, and then you start to deal with it. What are the, the cons now? Uh, what are the cons against using the drug, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you begin to get the person to think, to weigh the benefits versus the, the cost, so that he can see that the costs way out, low, out way the back. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Pastor, we have Codrington on the air. Codrington, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question very quickly. We are almost out of time.
2: Yes. Yeah, I just want to ask one question. I want to know if Mary was a heavenly woman. was I right now. If she was a heavenly woman.
0: Was Mary a heavenly woman, Pastor?
1: Well, when she a heavenly woman, was Mary a person who believed in God? If the answer to that, that question is yes. That's why she made herself available when the angel came to her and told her she was going to have a child. But in terms of a, a heavenly woman, I'm not too sure what you mean by that. Um, all I can say to you that like every Old Testament person, remember there's a transition between the Old Testament and New Testament, and Mary and Joseph uh, belong to the Old Testament era because the New Testament dispensation only started when Christ's blood was shed because the covenant was formed by the shedding of his blood. So she was almost a person in the Old Testament way of thinking that her faith was in Jehovah God looking for the Messiah to come. That means that she was looking for heavenly hope. So in that sense, she was a person who who thought about heaven and thought about uh, the eternal life to come, etc., etc. In that sense, she's heavenly. So I don't know if you mean, I don't know what else you mean by that, but in that sense, she's looking for glory. She's looking for the city not made with hands, as uh, Moses and, and uh, Abraham and them were looking for. In that sense, you're looking for the hope of Israel, the Messiah, to come. In that sense, she's a person who has a heavenly disposition.
0: Thank you for the call, Codrington. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Pastor, we have one more question that has come in. Do we have prophets today? And what qualifies you to be a prophet? It seems like everywhere you turn, people are calling themselves a prophet this and a prophet that
1: look if you want my honest opinion about this whole matter I think the book of Ephesians settles that whole question it tells us clearly that the church was the foundation of the church was laid by the apostles and the prophets so they're the ones that laid the foundation of the church when it first started we now have the superstructure of the church where God gives to the church pastors and teachers that's what Paul mentioned those four gifts and evangelists these are the gifts that are presently available to the church. The prophetic gift and the apostolic gift are gone. They perform their function. They fulfill the function of laying the foundation for the church. Um, so I do not believe that currently there are any prophets. I don't believe there are any apostles. Uh, once the foundation is laid, laid, the superstructure has been built, and it's being built by pastors, evangelists, and teachers, that is what is being done today. Um, and the other thing is, once you open the door to a prophet, you open the door to an apostle. And there can be no apostles today. Because one of the requirements of being an apostle is that you had to have seen Jesus as the qualification to become an apostle. And we we know no man after the flesh. okay, And uh, Christ is not seen. They have not seen Jesus. As, the apostle Paul was one that was born at the due time. And he saw Christ on Damascus Road. So that's why he became an apostle. But had he not seen the Lord, he would have been disqualified.
0: Now, Pastor, you've been using the Bible to answer your questions. But in reality, we live in 2023. Do you really believe that the Bible has the answers for my life in 2023 and your life in 2023?
1: Nathan, there's only one answer to that. Our state of confusion is presently because we've gone away from the Word. Let the people come back to the Word, get into the Word, practice the Word, and live the Word, and you'll see a transformation will take place. This is a living book. It is God's book, and we need to turn back to it.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth Tuesday at seven thirty p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at ninety-two point three megahertz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.